Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I'm here in the studio with a, a wonderful pastor. He's a graduate of Beeson Divinity School, a wonderful friend to me and to our school, Dr. Davin Watkins. He's the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Pleasant Grove, Alabama. Davin, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you so much for the invitation to come, Dean George. Now, let's just take a few minutes and let you introduce yourself to our podcast audience. Uh, you're not from Alabama. You you studied here and you, you minister here now, but you're originally a Kentuckian, right? Yes, sir. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your church background, and kind of what led you to Beeson. I was born and raised in Kentucky. I am the middle of three children, parents loved the Lord, and they always had us in church. At an early age, I knew that Jesus loved me, and I accepted Christ at an early age, about seven years old. And then later on, as I uh, went through school and got into high school, I just felt God's nudging in my life, calling me into ministry. I ran from that in a Mm. similar way as Jonah, uh, but eventually, just as the Lord found Jonah in the depths of the sea, Uh, the Lord found me as well in the depths of Kentucky. And so he found me and pursued me like the hound from heaven that he is. And so I surrendered to his call upon my life. I went to Georgetown College. That's where I met my sweet wife-to-be, Jane Ellen. Fell in love with her at first sight. And then after our wedding in 1996, we really began to uh, think about uh, where we're going to go to school, what's going to happen I went several different places, one of which was here at Beeson Divinity School. I was able to sit down and talk with you, Dean. You share with me the vision that Mr. Beeson had for this school. You made a statement that resonated with my spirit still to this day, that Mr. Beeson wanted to produce a school that emphasized producing pastors who could preach. And I remember that you told me that apparently he sat under a lot of pastors who could not preach. (laughs) And so he wanted to be a part of something that had its aim of producing pastors who could preach. And that truly resonated with me, and it still carries me today. And so I came here to Beeson and then graduated in 99. I know Dr. Robert Smith had a great influence on you. He was your professor here and has been a strong friend to you across the years, hasn't he? Absolutely. And so many of our graduates, of course, could say that about him and other faculty here. You mentioned Jane Ellen, your beautiful wife, who also is a wonderful singer. Yes, sir. And you all have two beautiful children. Tell us their names and ages. Molly Grace is nine. And Nathan is six. Now, I asked Davin to come in for this podcast interview today because he's he's just lived through a traumatic event in the life of this community and the life of so many people, including those in his church, uh, because something happened in Alabama on Wednesday, April the 27th, 2011. Tell us about what I call the Great Storm. It was early in that day uh, that some tornadoes came through uh, a neighboring area called McCullough. And so even from uh, those storms, our power was knocked out. Uh, So we had already canceled services for Wednesday night. Everybody was at home, glued to the television, listening to a local meteorologist, James Spann. And it became very evident that the tornado was building momentum and strength as it came from Tuscaloosa. It was bearing hard uh, right towards Pleasant Grove. I think the time was probably around 5.45, 5.50 in the uh, afternoon, evening. And like so many people, I was in my house in the basement, uh, what we thought was the most secure place of the house, 
had our children there with their bicycle helmets on, just like <laughs> just like you've always been taught and told. Did you expect the storm was going to come that close to you? I did not know. Um, I, all I heard was that James Spann said, it's coming towards Pleasant Grove, and momentarily then we just lost power completely. Mm-hmm. Actually, where we live, I didn't hear anything. You know, people talk about they hear the train mm-hmm. noise that comes from a tornado. We did feel the wind a little bit and uh, heard the rain and the hail that accompanied that. Uh, But in just a few matter of moments, literally, it passed. Mm -hmm. Uh, We went outside and looked around the cul-de-sac of our subdivision, and everything looked to be calm and clear. There was debris that was in the yard, some limbs and leaves that were thrown all throughout, but no major damage. And then I started getting text messages, Mm. Uh, text messages from people saying, my house is gone. Hmm. My car demolished. Were these people in your church? or Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, email, uh, text and emails that said, the church steeple I cannot see. Um, and then I began to realize, wait a minute, this is, this is a severe storm. Yeah. Actually, we thought a second storm was on its way. And so we went outside just momentarily, and, and we assumed that a second one was coming, but then we went back inside just to seek some shelter. Now, this storm really left a whole swath of Alabama devastated. Uh, Tuscaloosa, uh, people at the University of Alabama, students lost their lives. And in your community, uh, I I was there a few weeks ago to visit with your church, and I've never in my life seen anything like this. It's like driving through what I imagine a terrible war zone Mm -hmm. must have looked like Mm -hmm. in World War II or something like that. Mm -hmm. Trees that evidently were just completely taken away all the leaves, all the branches just standing up like fingers pointing at the sky, houses driving by, and one of them, uh, the side was completely blown away, and you were just looking into uh, the bathroom and mm-hmm. the rooms of that, that kind mm-hmm. of utter devastation mm-hmm. uh, in that community. That's right near your church where that happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the tornado literally split uh, the city of Pleasant Grove. If you were to look at a map, it went right through the middle of it, through the heart of it, taking claim of well over a 1,000 homes. Pleasant Grove has about 3,600 homes, so approximately one out of three have been completely destroyed or badly damaged. And it's exactly like you said. Everybody's possessions are exposed for everyone to see. Now, go back to that event, that evening, that Wednesday evening, and people, you're beginning to get text messages, you know something terrible has happened. What were your first steps in responding to that and in, in dealing with that that evening, I guess, and then the next day? That evening, I could not do much. Because of the storm, I could not call. I could not text. I could receive information, but I could not get any, any information out. I had people calling from all over Pleasant Grove, also Kentucky. Of course, uh, concerned parents and family members were calling, and I could not get to them. I could not respond. So really, the next day was my first opportunity, and we live on 15th Street. And so I got in my car to hopefully drive to the church, and it was early the next morning on Thursday, and I could not get beyond 13th Street, just the debris that was in the road, the trees, the devastation. And it quickly became evident that to get to the church, we were going to have to go by foot. And, and then we finally made our way to the church and immediately began to try to do some ministry. Were people already gathering at the church? Yes, yes. And you have a rather large church building right in the heart of Pleasant Grove, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, it, sir. It, it quickly became a gathering point. That's right. 
in good Baptist fashion, one of the first things that started is we started feeding people. Mm. Um, <laughs> we we uh, you know fired up the kitchen and and we began to prepare all the food that we had in our freezer. Number one, we realized that uh, we had no no electricity, uh, so that food was going to go to waste, and people were hungry. Um, and it was just uh, it was a beautiful thing to actually behold to see God's people just rise up without hesitation, without instruction, um, just saying, hey, this is what I can do. We began to feed people. We began to help people. We began to get out chainsaws and and, and uh, remove debris and cut down trees. And uh, people began to donate food that they had, clothing that they had. And, and just all of a sudden, uh, we just became a shelter there at First Baptist. So there was an outpouring of responses. People stepped into that moment, a very mm-hmm. difficult, uh, sad, tragic moment, uh, to be ambassadors for Christ. Absolutely. It was neighbor helping neighbor, and many walls came down. I, I don't just mean physical walls, but I mean walls that separate people in our culture, in our society, uh, racial walls came down. Mm. Um, socioeconomic walls came down. It did not matter what your neighbor looked like. If he or she was a person in need, there was a beautiful picture of people just helping people in the name of Christ and, and just helping people to do whatever they needed done. And so I pray that those, that those walls don't get mm. rebuilt. Yeah. yeah, Some walls need to be rebuilt. Homes need to be rebuilt. Structures need to be refortified. But there are many walls that don't need to be rebuilt. And I pray that those walls of, of racial division, of socioeconomic division, I pray they're obliterated from now until yes. Jesus returns. Yes, indeed. Amen. Now, uh, there were people in your church who lost their lives in this storm. Yes, sir. Uh, how did you respond to that? Uh, I know you had funerals to conduct, and mm. uh, pastors conduct funerals all the time. Was there anything different about this moment, and how did the church respond to the loss of life mm. within the congregation? Mm. Any funeral is tragic, and whenever you gather for a funeral, you you know what's on the hearts and minds of the people. But in these days that has become even uh, more acute, that you realize what people are thinking about. The number one question is why. Regardless of whether the person was a a younger person or an older person, uh, still the question is why. Why did this happen? And so you find yourself uh, dealing with apologetics. You find yourself saying, you know, God does not have a vendetta uh, against the people of Pleasant Grove. If this was a display of God's wrath, not a one of us would be left standing. Mm. So our God loves us. And so you give evidence of the mercy of God, the generosity, the benevolence of the Lord. Um, In particular, uh, Miss Reba was one that passed away. Uh, She was an elderly lady who was thrown from her house and uh, found deceased in a ditch. And so many people uh, ask the question, why? Uh, Why did this happen to Miss Reba? And I went to that very familiar passage of John 14, in my father's house are many mansions, and I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to receive you unto myself. And so from that, I spoke that I know that Jesus was in Pleasant Grove the night of April the 27th. I know that for many reasons, but one of which is that he came and personally took, took unto himself Miss Reba Jones. He was right there with her. Uh, he did not reserve that for uh, a messenger of heaven or a, an angel to come and receive her unto himself. No, his word says, I will come and get you. And so he came and received her. And I've had several people come up to me and say, you know what? 
<laughs> I've read that passage all my life. And, and I've never visualized Jesus physically coming and receiving someone in the midst of such a tragedy. And so more than one individual said that was comforting to me, to visualize that Jesus came to receive unto himself Miss Reba. Now, there was a church uh, right across the street from your church. It was an Assembly of God, Pleasant right. Grove Assembly of God. Yes, sir. And it was a fairly large church, Yes, sir. Um, large, imposing structure. When I visited you a couple of weeks ago, it was completely gone, mm-hmm. flattened, mm-hmm. nothing there, mm-hmm. nothing. Nothing. And your church, um, remarkably, lost its steeple mm-hmm. and had some roof damage, yes. but was almost completely intact apart from those minor right. uh, losses. Right. Uh, and I, I know there was a reporter, I think, who came That's to talk right. to you about this. And uh, recount that story for us. This is a reporter from the Associated Press, and I believe he came from Washington, D.C. And he sat and talked to me in my office and quickly got to the questions of, uh, why is your church building still standing and the one right across the street, the Assembly of God, not? His line of questioning uh, questions quickly revealed that he was really wanting to know Uh, did I think that God loved Baptists more than Pentecostals? (laughs) And and I I quickly told him that that really, um, if he were to sit down with the pastor, Lamar Jacks, and myself, he would discover that he and and I are brothers in Christ, and we agree on the core essential values of the gospel. We may have areas of disagreement on the peripheral issues of practice, of how we may conduct something or handle something. But the core essential beliefs is that we believe that it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that we are saved. And without faith in him, there is no salvation. So those core, some of those core issues just galvanize us. I didn't go down that road. Mm. Um, and I just, um, just really emphasize what we have in common and not what divides us or or is divisive among us. Yeah, the why question, you know, why them, not us. Mm. Now, as a pastor ministering in the midst of this and the aftermath of this, uh, have you have you seen your people coming to grips with it or being grieved by it? Has this impacted your preaching in recent mm. weeks, your pastoral mm. care? Uh, what would you say about that? This event has... Um, truly reinforced that we are a people of the book, uh, sustained by God's Word. The reason I say that is in mid-February, we began a sermon series entitled Rebuilt for His Glory, based on the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is about reconstruction and revival, chapters 1 through 7, rebuilding the city of God, chapters 8 through 13, rebuilding the people of God. It's one thing to rebuild a city. It's another thing to rebuild a people. And Nehemiah knew how to do both. In mid-February, we started this. Not a one of us had any idea what was in store for us on Wednesday night, April the 27th. And as I uh, looked around to see God's handiwork in the midst of the devastation and destruction, I have repeatedly found comfort in that God knew what we needed before we knew what we needed. We didn't know the storm was coming down the pike, but he did. Mm. And because he's the sovereign, gracious Lord, he has an uncanny ability of being able to prepare his people for what's to come because he knows the future as certainly as he knows the past. So I I truly believe that he 
uh, led us to embark on this study of the book of Nehemiah to think about how can we rebuild uh, a city, how can we rebuild a people all for God's glory, doing ministry, which is God's work and God's way. And how can we do that? Uh, and that has been timely. God's word mm. is timely. Mm. And in just the right moment, he led us to just the right book for mm. just the right time. Mm. And he does that repeatedly. But for just for me, this has just been a, just a, a wonderful source of comfort. Uh, so that's how it's impacted the preaching. Pastoral counseling, pastoral responsibilities, um, just to learn to sit and listen, because people have a story to share, to sit and to listen. Miss Maxine uh, told me the other day, I sat in the parking lot for three straight Sundays. I could not physically come into the church. Mm. I got up, got ready for church. I drove to church, sat there, wanted to come in, but I couldn't. And to sit there and to weep with people, to listen to people, to try to encourage people, and to show them that God really is in control even in the midst of tragedy. Now, uh, I was so privileged to preach for you, and I appreciate you inviting me to do that at Pleasant Grove a few weeks ago. I remember you said on the Sunday, on the week before I came, that. the preacher needed to be preached to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'd been preaching, pouring forth, but you needed to be preached to. So uh, how have you as a pastor, in the midst of the tragedy all around you, in the midst of serving and being the extension of the love and grace of Jesus Christ in that community, how have, how have you personally coped with this? How have you survived this? Mm. Uh, what have you learned from this? The first thing I've learned is that um, – This is a marathon of mercy. Uh, God has been merciful unto us, and he has called us to be merciful to others. And that has sustained me. Um, Now, I have highs and lows. I have peaks and I have valleys. The week before you came was a a dark moment for me. Just just the overwhelming pressure of the experience. Uh, It was just just one of those uh, down couple of days. And once again, God's word is timely, and the word that you delivered unto us by the power of God, speaking about crying out even in the depths, that resonated to me from Psalm 130. So once again, God's word is timely. It's that time-released medicine that God knows how to release it in just the right moment for his people. Uh, So that has sustained. And um, just realizing that um, God is the Savior and I am not. He is in control, not me. Now, uh, there's a verse of Scripture. I want to close with this. It's well known to almost all of our listeners, surely. I'm sure you've preached on this many, many times. I'm going to read it, and then I want you just to give us a brief word of exposition, of comfort, of exhortation, whatever the Lord may uh, reveal to you in these moments. Uh, Share that with our podcast listeners. The verse is Romans 8, 28 where Paul says this, For we know that God is at work in all things. All those who love God, he is working all things together for good, for those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. What does that mean in the midst of the storm? That God is the one who 
orchestrates all things for his glory. Um, It's easy to see how God orchestrates the good things and the comfortable things, but God orchestrates the chaotic things. Uh, He orchestrates um, the painful things, the terrible and the terrific. He orchestrates all things. And even the verses that precede that verse uh, speak about uh, we know how creation is groaning, um, groaning to be recreated. Um, and and if, if we saw anything, the, the evidence of the tornado is that is creation groaning for its redemption. Uh, creation knows that it's messed up, doesn't know how it's messed up, but just knows that something's not right. Humanity groans later on in that passage. So creation is groaning and humanity is groaning. And we've seen that vortex come together in Pleasant Grove. We've seen creation groan and seen the devastation of it. We've acknowledged humanity is groaning. And in all of this, God is still at work. Um, I remember here at Beeson, I believe it was Dr. Thielman, uh, who uh, always used the word thwart. Nothing can thwart God's plan. Nothing can thwart his purposes. I found myself using that word time and time again, Mm. that nothing, nothing in all of creation can thwart the purposes of God. I think when Paul writes that in Romans 8, 28, he is realizing that all things are groaning. Creation, humanity, and God is behind it all, working all things for his good and for his glory. So we find great comfort in that. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Dr. Davin Watkins. He is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Pleasant Grove, Alabama. Thank you so much, Davin, for sharing this conversation today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.